Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you will hear Pastor Josh talk about the life of discipleship and how it's marked by joy. The things that get in the way of being joyful are not settling disagreements, worrying, and focusing on the wrong things. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning, Missio. It's good to be back with you again today. Um, and I just wanted to mention, by the way, if you have fourth and fifth graders and they want to be in another space where they can get some more age-appropriate teaching, back in the corner in our conference room, there's a group of kiddos that are meeting with um, Katie, and I believe they're already back there. So if you've got a fourth or fifth grader and they want to go hang out, they're welcome to do so, but they can also be here with us. So um, just wanted to make mention of that. Um, also, I wanted to just say, on behalf of myself and my family, say thank you. You guys, um, the gift you gave us for pastor appreciation, very much appreciated. And I know I've said it before, but I've never felt more loved and appreciated than by this church family. So thank you for your generosity. And also wanted to just say good job. Um, we took a, an offering last week, our first benevolent offering ever. We didn't give you a warning. We didn't tell you it was coming but uh, passed the buckets, and we had $650 come in for, to put towards needs. So good job. Way to be generous, and, uh, and God loves a cheerful giver, and I'm proud of you guys. So thank you for all of that. Just wanted to, yeah. So we'll continue to take those offerings on the last Sunday of the month, and uh, just so you know, we're going to continue to build that fund and so we can help more and more people. There's a lot of needs in our city. And we want to be able to uh, help, help out with those needs. So today isn't our last day in the book of Philippians, but second to last. So we're nearing the end of this book. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that the book of Philippians has some themes. And one of those themes is joy. We've talked a lot about joy. Um, and hopefully, if you've been with us for any amount of time through this series, hopefully you're, you're learning some things, maybe uh, putting some new uh, things in practice in your life to experience the joy that God gives. And again, when we talk about joy, that doesn't mean just happiness or that everything goes our way in life. It means a deep-rooted sense of who God is and seeing life and the world through the lens of the gospel. So joy is different than happiness. We talked about that. But my guess is that if you've been with us, even for all the sermons, if you've been here every Sunday and you've been reading Philippians at home, you're probably not maxed out on joy. Raise your hand if you just can't handle any more joy in your life right now. I'm not seeing a lot of hands because we don't. We, none of us are maxed out on joy. I mean, I, I consider myself a somewhat joyful person, but I think there's a lot more room for growth. And so you're probably like me wanting to experience the joy that God desires for us, but maybe at times just getting a little jammed up with life. See, today we're going to talk about three things that can quickly and very easily steal our joy or kill our joy. These are things that can get in the way of where joy wants to be in our lives. So the Apostle Paul, we know that um, his life wasn't all peachy keen, like he was in prison, chained to a guard, and yet over and over you read in scripture, especially in the book of Philippians, his tone of being joyful. He's rejoicing. He's in, he's in crummy circumstances, but he's still rejoicing. And so he's able to do that because he's rooted in the gospel and he's rooted in understanding life and circumstances through what is God doing. 
and also um, just not being totally absorbed in himself, right? We talked a lot about selfishness and how um, Paul encouraged his readers not to be selfish, but to consider others as more important. Like there's a shift that happens in the heart. So we talk about joy a lot around Christmas time, and I don't want to freak anybody out, but Christmas is like close. Anybody feeling that already? Like hopefully you're not getting anxiety about shopping and all those things and, and family plans, but, but Christmas is coming. It's just around the corner. And we talk about at Christmas time, it is more blessed to give and to receive, right? And Jesus said that. And we, we experience that at Christmas time. So if you would do something with me, I want to try an exercise with you guys. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? And I want you to imagine a situation that's happened in the past where you gave a Christmas gift to somebody else, someone you love. And I want you to imagine what that gift was. And it was probably just the perfect gift for them. It was the thing they had asked for, or maybe they didn't know what they wanted and you got it for them, but they loved it and it was the right color and it was the right size. So picture that gift. And picture that person opening the gift across from you. They, they tear the paper and they rip open the tape and they open the box and you see the look on their face. Joy. They're so happy for what they, what they got as their gift. Now I want you to think about yourself in that moment. What were you feeling? What was that experience like for you to give that gift to somebody else? Now you can open your eyes. That was joy. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you give that gift to somebody else and you're focused on their needs and what they want instead of yourself, there is something just powerful and profound about that kind of joy. And that's why Paul is able to say to his friends in Philippi, you're my reward. I love you guys and I, and I care about you. He wasn't focused on himself. He had joy in his circumstances because of the people that he was focused on. So the whole, the whole book of Philippians is like a manual of how to, how to have joy amidst our circumstances. And, and if this feels a little bit like a summary today, this, this message, it's because it is a bit of a summary. The Apostle Paul repeats themes throughout this book, and he comes back. He's, at the end, he's kind of wrapping it up. He knows his letter's coming to a close. And so there's some repetition here. But I don't know about you. I need a little repetition. I need to hear things more than once. So we're going to read this text together and, uh, and see some ways that maybe we can avoid killing joy in our lives. So let's go to Philippians 4 if you have a Bible. We're reading from the New Living Translation. If you want to go to Bible app and switch that, it's easy. All right, so uh, we're going to read chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you. Dear friends, you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Iodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot there. I know it's a, kind of a chunky passage, but it's great. And, and so Paul starts out talking about these two women who have a disagreement. And basically he says, hey, ladies, settle your disagreement. Eodia and Syntyche, I don't know a whole lot about them. None of us do because it doesn't say much about them in Scripture. But what we do know is that these were two women who were partners in spreading the gospel with Paul. He says that. He says their names are written in the book of life. They're part of the family. They're part of the kingdom. And they help me in spreading the gospel. So he says, we need to work out this disagreement. So I think the first way that we see that we can kill joy in this text is that we allow a disagreement to go unsettled. We just kind of sweep it under the rug. We don't deal with it. We don't talk about it. It's not good. It's not healthy. I don't think Scripture commands us to agree on everything, but I do think Scripture commands us to be unified and to be loving and kind and caring to one another and to work through our disagreements. See, I don't think Paul was, was ticked off at these ladies because they had a falling out, because they had a, a disagreement. I think he's upset because it was unresolved and they let it fester and splinter the church because it was having an effect not only on their relationship, but probably on the people around them as well. This was a public thing. Everybody knew about it. We don't know what this issue was. Was this a doctrinal thing where they were disagreeing on some point of teaching? Was this uh, something, some opinion that they had that was different? Or, or maybe they just hurt each other's feelings. I don't know. We don't know. But what Paul says is that division is not okay to, to be left unsettled in the church. And the reason why he's so concerned about this is because the church... The body of Christ is a representation of heavenly realities. God is not divided with himself. Have you ever thought about that? Like the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity, perfect communion with one another. And there's no division in heaven. I mean, there was once, but then, you know, we know where that went with, you know, some people getting cast out. Satan was cast down. There, heaven is in perfect unity. And we are a reflection of that on earth. And so when we live with open disagreement, we are, we're taking away from the testimony of what's true about God and his very nature of who he is. So God calls us to live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I think the exhortation for them wasn't to just, hey, sweep it under the rug, ignore it, but to work it out, to communicate. Because oftentimes when we have a disagreement with someone, we don't want to talk to them. We don't want to communicate. Are you kidding me? I just want to lock down and talk to everybody else instead of the people involved. Now, there's, um, historically, there have been disagreements within the church. So if, if we think that our, in our world today, in 2023, if Christians can't agree on everything, that this is new, well, we're, we're just not aware of what's happened in the past. 
So there have been disagreements over things throughout the history of the church. And there was a, a German Lutheran um, scholar, uh, theologian, who his name is uh, I don't know if I get, Rupertus Meldinius. That's quite a name. And there's a quote. I think we can throw that quote up on the screen. He says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And there have been versions of this, different, you know, um, church fathers have used, you know, examples of this. This is the earliest one I could find, 17th century. And what, what are essentials? Well, essentials are things that are non-negotiable to the Christian faith. We, we can't disagree on these. These are things like the virgin birth or like um, the deity of Christ or on, uh, you know, salvation by grace alone. Like these are things that are, are kind of non-negotiable to the Christian faith. Without the essentials, there's no church. There's no Christianity. Those are important things. So we need to be unified on the essentials. But what about the non-essentials? What are non-essential doctrines? Well, things like eschatology, what's going to happen in the end? End time stuff. We hear a lot of different theories on that. Um, could be things like um, what's our view on spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, things like, like, you know, that are sometimes disagreed upon within the church or women's roles in ministry, those types of things. Those are in the non-essential category. They're important. I'm not going to say they're not important, but they're not worth disfellowshipping over or, or having some kind of a, a schism in the church over. So we're a spiritual family. We need to learn to disagree, to talk about things that are important, but still love and respect each other. That's what I love about that, that statement. It says, in all things charity. What does that mean? If we disagree, can we still love the other person? And even if it's a, something that is an essential doctrine, can we still love that person? Yeah, we can, but it might cause a division in our, our fellowship. So it's different, you know, with essentials, non-essentials. Um, sometimes we just get hung up on opinions. Sometimes we just have hurt feelings. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. But the point is that we're called to love, right? We're called to love one another through any disagreements that we might have. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, they'll know you are Christians by your arguing over doctrine, or they'll know you're Christians by your need to be right. What did Jesus say? They'll know you are Christians by your love for one another. Each other. Like that, that's what we're known for. So harboring anger and bitterness in our heart is bad for us. God knows that. It's not good for us. When we choose to harbor anger and bitterness in our heart, it kills our joy and it affects oftentimes the people around us. When I first started in ministry, uh, I, was, I became a worship pastor and, and I was, um, the church that I was serving in had a process of voting. So they had a meeting and they voted whether or not I was going to get hired and it was like 90% positive, affirmative. So the senior pastor told me, hey, that's a great number. Yeah, that's great. All right, okay, cool. So I start working, doing this ministry um, in this church and about three years in, this elderly gentleman calls me and he says, hey, Pastor Josh, can you come over to my house? There's something I want to talk to you about. And I was like, oh boy, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> so I go over to his house. I had no idea what this was going to be about. And I sit down and we had some chit chat and he served coffee and cookies. And the senior pastor was there. He knew 
this guy had already called him and told him what was going on just ahead of our meeting, so I was kind of coming in blind. And this elderly gentleman, he says, I got to tell you why we're here. And through tears, he tells me, he says, when you, when you were being voted on in the church, I voted no. He says, I was angry with the church. I was upset with the leadership. I didn't think we needed a worship pastor. I thought it was dumb and I didn't like you. I was like, oh, okay. Like I had no idea and a little awkward. Um, but not only did he not want me to have that job and not like me, he, he tried to get as many of his friends at the church to vote no. And, and there, was, there was a number of them. And it had killed him for the last three years because every time he came into a worship service, he sat in the back, and I noticed him. He was way in the back, and just arms crossed. I'm like, well, maybe he's having a bad day. I don't know. But it stole his joy. And through tears, I just saw the relief. He said, will you forgive me for what I did? And this guy's like 85 years old. Like, lived a lot of life, had a lot of wisdom. But he let this anger and bitterness reside in his heart, and it ate his lunch. And he said, will you forgive me? And I said, of course I forgive you. I had no idea this was even going on, but be free, brother. Like, just let go of this. And he did. And it's amazing how much being anger or bitter ruins us on the inside, doesn't it? And it can affect other people. In his situation, he affected some of his friends. Didn't affect me really at all because I didn't have any idea. But see, we live in a world where we're not told to work out our issues. We live in a world that says, get mad, get ticked off, unfriend, unfollow on social media, stonewall somebody, complain to your closest friends about it, but don't resolve it. I'm sorry, but that, that's the way our world is, is grooming us and teaching us to live. And I, I'm sorry, but I've about had it with the North Dakota nice thing. Anybody else just sick of that? Like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then behind your back, hmm, stab you. <laughs> and they, I know they have Minnesota nice too, but, you know, we're North Dakotans. But we have this thing, North Dakota nice, but it's passive aggressive is what it is. It's not real. It's not love. And I think we, we, there's a better way to act like Jesus did and, and to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what I want to be, not, not North Dakota nice. So Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord and be considerate in everything that we do. The second way that we see in this text that we can kill joy is by worrying. We have anybody who, who worries in here? I worry. I worry all the time. And there's a, there's a term. Anybody heard the term worrywart? Like I get on these weird things when I'm prepping for a sermon. I, I think of things, and then I go on this rabbit trail on, on Google. And I had to Google, what is a worrywart? Like, is it a bump on your knee or your foot? Like, like a planner's wart? Like, that's what I'm imagining. You get this warts all over because you're worrying so much. Well, that's not where that came from. It actually came from a guy by the name of uh, J.R. Williams, and he made a comic strip. Can you put that slide up? This is his comic book character, The Worry Wart. And this little fellow was not, didn't have a whole lot of friends because he was an annoyance to everybody because he worried so much. So 1920s comic strip, Worry Wart, just some free information, not really relevant, but... Uh, 
That's what a worry wart is. But this next group of verses is one of the most popular in, in Philippians. People plaque it on their house. They got like the sign on the wall. Um, memorize it. I memorized it when I was younger. Maybe many of you have too. This is just a great passage. I'm going to read these two verses again. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he says, don't worry, pray. Stop worrying, instead, pray. Is it easy to stop worrying? Like if you just say, I want to stop worrying, like that's, you, you just cannot do it. I'm going to try another experiment. Do not think about snakes right now. Do not think about snakes. Don't think about big, long, green, scaly snakes with those beady eyes and the fangs and the, you know, tongue coming in. Don't, just don't think about that right now. What are you thinking about right now? Everybody's thinking about snakes. Now, I want you to think about a blue, uh, a blue jay and the colors of its, of its feathers, the blue and the silver and the white, and imagine it just on your back patio eating out of this feeder, and it's so beautiful, and it sings a song. What are you thinking about right now? You still on the snakes? Okay, we're going to have to talk afterwards. The snake eating the bluebird, no, or blue jay. So, but it, it's a replacement, right? We need to learn to replace worry with prayer. And I guarantee you this works. I do this all the stinking time. You start to worry, ah, God, what am I doing? What am I doing? <sighs> Take a deep breath and pray and turn that worry into prayer because here's the thing, worry is sinful. And I'm gonna unpack this in just a minute here. But worrying is not trusting in God, And so when Paul says, turn your worry into prayers, he's saying, don't stay where you're at. You might be wound up about something, and we have emotions. We're emotional beings. That's normal. But if we choose to sit and grind away in that, that is not putting our faith and our trust in God. See, Jesus says over and over, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. And all of those things kind of fall in that same category of not trusting in who God says he is and carrying out the promises that he's given us in his word. And we're basically saying, we know better than you, God. I'm good. I'm going to handle this on my own. It kills our heart when we live with worry. It's really crazy when you think about it that we would rather live in a place of anxiety, worry, and stress rather than talking to the God of the universe who spoke the galaxies into being. He spoke and literally stars came out. And he made you and he made me and he made everything and he knows every detail of your life. It's written in his book. He knows everything that's gonna happen to you, everything that has happened, that will happen before the creation of the world. Like just stop and think about that for a minute. Do we know who we're dealing with? Do we realize how powerful and wise and all-knowing and all, he's everywhere and can do all things? This is our God. But yet we've got this situation, Lord, this thing at my work is really stressing me out. 
And we think God can't handle it. That's where worry comes from. It's sinful because we're not trusting, we're not giving God our heart back and saying, all right, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest in you. There's a story in the Bible, the guy by, by the name of Job. Some of you have read that story, some of you maybe haven't. I still wanna do a series in Job. I, I really wanna get into that. There's some really cool stuff in there. But the last four chapters of Job, and just to give you a snapshot, Job was an awesome guy, righteous man before God. He was crushing it. He had an awesome farm and, and all this you know, livestock and his family was really doing well. And then one day Satan asked God, well, can I hurt Job? Can I afflict him? And God granted him that permission. And there's a lot of theological stuff that, again, I want to unpack later with that. But the story is that Job had been afflicted and Job was going through some hard stuff. And he asked God why and he questioned God. And I'm just going to read a few verses from the end of Job. If you really want to do this, go through and read the last four chapters. I've just kind of cherry-picked some pieces and give you a little bit of a snapshot here. This starts in 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that these eagles rise to the heights and make its nest? It lives on the cliffs, making its home on a distant rocky crag. From there it hunts its prey, keeping watch with piercing eyes. And he goes on, he goes on, he goes on. This is just a snippet. Then Job replied to the Lord. This is Job's response. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things that I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And you hear the heart of God and you hear the heart of Job and you realize that Job needed to be reminded of how awesome and powerful and amazing God is. And church, we need to be reminded in the midst of our worrying and our carrying on about life, can we just stop and reflect and say, whoa, This is the God. I I don't know who I'm dealing with. He is so much greater, so much more powerful. How dare I twist and worry and anxiousness? I want to trust you, God. Job needed that reminder, and we do too. So I want to stop here and discuss this a little bit. Two questions for dialogue. And the first one is this. Why is it so difficult to stop worrying and to actually trust God through prayer? Why is it hard to stop that worry cycle and pray? What do you guys think? 
Because I want everything my way. We want life to go our way. Yeah. Exactly. Past experiences with people who have let us down. Past experience with people who have let us down. What do you mean by that? Um, people who should have been there to take care of you and didn't. People who hurt you. You know, just the people who were supposed to be in the place. They always say that when you're a toddler, you think your parents is God. And that's yeah. how you view God as you get older. And if your parents let you down, then it's really, really difficult to give God that trust that he deserves, yeah. knowing he's not him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I hear what you're saying. It's hard to trust God when we've had people that have failed us because we tend to project what people have done to us back onto God. Is that, is, as, if, as if you're saying, well, well, people let me down, so I really can't trust God because he's probably like my, my parents or my friends. And we, yeah, I think that happens all the time. Second question is this. What might shift in your heart if you pray more and worry less? What might shift in our heart if we, if we pray more and worry less and how that might affect our day-to-day life? I love that. It changes your focus from the problem to God who is the solution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Brings you a lot more peace. Brings you a lot more peace. Yeah, it actually, Paul actually said that, right? <laughs> the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I want peace. Anybody else want peace? And I think joy and peace travel together. Fruits of the Spirit. So the third thing that we see in this text that can really jam us up with with losing joy is our thinking, our thoughts. This is where Paul ends it in verse eight. This is what he says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, Paul knows that the way we think affects the way we live. And he says, don't focus your lives on all the things that are wrong and broken in this world. That can really, really pull us into the ditch. He said, keep your your thoughts focused on what is true and honorable and admirable and right. He said a similar thing to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So in other words, he's saying, don't let just this world and all the problems of this world fill your your minds. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Like the realities of eternity and the gospel And again, hear me, this is not saying stick your head in the sand and ignore all problems in this life. That is not healthy. That is not the way we're called to live. But we're called to see this world and all of the circumstances through the lens of the gospel, through the realities that we know God and he's got this. And so whatever's going on in the world, we don't have to throw up our hands in despair. I think he's... He's wanting us to persevere because Jesus even said, like, like we could say, okay, I flip on the news. There's war going on in Israel, which is horrible. The atrocities that are happening there, 
Not that long ago, you know, the news broke about the Ukraine war. Like, there are wars going on in our world. There are political problems. There are governments that are doing awful things. Do you remember Jesus said, there will be wars and rumors of wars before the end comes. Do we know the end of the story? We know that Jesus comes back and there'll be a final judgment and Jesus will take care of everything and that there will be no more weeping or pain or problems after that. We, we, we live under Jesus' rule and reign for eternity. I can't wait for that. So we know the end of the story. But people get so hung up on, on what's going on in our, our nation. I hear this all the time. They say, well, what do you think about what's going on in government? We have an election coming up. And what do you think about all this? And I'm like, you know, I'm following it. I'm paying attention. But my hope, I'm sorry, guys, it's not in the U.S. government. My hope is not in um, having world peace because it's not going to happen. Now, things might get better for a season, might get worse for a while, but people, I hear all the time, like, can you, can you, can you believe how bad things have gotten? And I'm like, yeah, they have gotten worse. But I wasn't alive during the time of the Holocaust. Do you imagine flipping on the news and seeing that? This world is broken. It's sinful. There are problems. And if we only focus on what's wrong in this world and what's broken in this world, we're in the ditch. Paul says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thinking. Be aware, but see it through the lens of the gospel. See it with eyes of hope saying, you know what? God is redeeming people from every tribe, nation, and language. And one day, we will be around his throne as the perfect king. Don't put your hope in the nations of this world. We can care. We can be engaged. We can, again, don't go retreat from it. But don't let it consume you. Because for so many people, it does. Two more questions for discussion. Why is it easier for us to fix our thoughts on all that is wrong in the world rather than thinking about good things? Why is it easier to do that? Negativity is kind of bred into us at an early age or, or ingrained into us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and our world's pretty negative in general. What'd you say? Oh, I think that's what we physically see all around us. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's okay that we grieve. Like, let's just, when you see people being murdered or mistreated, like, the grief, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and it is right in front of us. You flip on the news, but I think it's a managing of, of how much we focus, where our focus and our hope lies. I think if you get underneath it, like, what is our true hope? For some people, it is the government. It is who's in the White House, or it's who's in Congress, or it's whatever, any other thoughts on that? Why is it easier to fix our thoughts on all that is wrong rather than thinking about good things? Three years ago, what you rub up against rubs off. And when you are just bombarded by negative and around you, they're constantly talking and focused on It's really easy to get sucked in. Yeah. Fixing our thoughts is so key. It's all Yeah, yeah. He says we're rubbing up against it and it's just kind of constantly there being bombarded and... Uh, I think there's some of this too that comes back to reorienting our thoughts. We need like scripture, we need the truth, we need the gospel to reorient us because uh, we're getting bombarded, you're right, and we rub up against this constantly, for sure. Second question is how might thinking about the wrong things rob us 
of our joy. This is an easy one. You forget about the good things. Yeah. Can anyone relate to this? Like just, oh, just a feeling of despair. That's why Paul said it. Fix, fix your thoughts. Focus on the right things. Were you going to say something? We have an example of Joseph found his purpose. And when you think about all the wrong things, you don't see your purpose. Even though difficult things happen to us, there's a purpose God has in those difficult things that can bring glory to him. Yeah, great story. He's talking about the story of Joseph. And obviously, Joseph had some questions when he was thrown in prison and in a well. And yeah. So good. So the thing that I love is that God desires for us to be a joyful people. Do you believe that today? That God desires for you to live with joy. That doesn't mean that your life isn't going to be hard at times, that you won't go through struggles. Again, joy is not just happiness, but a deep-seated sense of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit living within you, fruit of the Spirit. We persevere through life, and we're joyful. God wants that for you. And maybe, maybe you're here today and there's something that was said and maybe one of these three things that we talked about is, is, is affecting your heart. Maybe you're a little bit like Iodia and Syntyche. You're living with some open disagreement and, and you're just like, well, it is what it is and, and it's just destroying you because of the anger and bitterness in your heart. And maybe it's affecting your family. Maybe it's affecting your friend group. I don't know. And if God's dealing with you on that, resolve your disagreement. Work through it. Get some help if you need it. Or maybe you're one of those worry warts. One of those people who just can't stop worrying. And we all struggle with this. And again, this is not me beating you over the head and saying you're horrible because you worry. But choosing to look at what the scripture says. Instead of worrying, let's pray. And let's stop and take some time and maybe pause and let the truth of, read, read the last four chapters of Job, just do it. I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't take that long. And it's great. And it reorients us back to who is God and how powerful and magnificent he is. Maybe you're here today and you're just sucked into worry. You're like, I just can't get out of that. I'm just, turn to prayer. And for all of us, we probably need to focus our thoughts a little better. Jesus, you're our hope. You're our only hope. We know you and we know the end of the story. And so we can live in this world with joy and peace. Not loving what's going on around us, but knowing that we're not waiting for this to somehow get better. Someday that we're just going to have this perfect utopia in this life. We won't. And I believe that as we allow God to do this deep work in our hearts and deal with these things like worry or disagreement, anger, bitterness, fear, that's when we begin to experience joy. And we can experience joy wherever we are. Let's pray. God, thanks so much that you love us and that you're patient with us. We are flawed and we are people. We are sheep that need a shepherd and you are that shepherd. And so God, would you deal with our hearts today? Would you stir in us? And would you help us to be honest with ourselves? And if you're convicting, Lord, of, of need of change, that we would respond to that with repentance. Lord, thank you for this book, this little letter to the church in Philippi and how encouraging it is to our faith. 
Oh, Lord, I just thank you that you don't give up on us. I would give up on us. But you don't, Lord. You, you are merciful and kind and patient. Jesus, this morning we, we remember your sacrifice through communion. And we know that you're a holy God and that we are a sinful people. Now, we don't approach you on our own merit. We don't approach you because we deserve to. And we only approach you because you died on the cross for us. Because Jesus, you paid the price for our sin. Our past sin. Our present sin and our future sin. The things we haven't even done yet that you know we'll do, you paid for. So Lord, as we take this bread and juice and as we remember your sacrifice, we say thank you. We thank you for your grace. And we acknowledge that we have nothing to bring for our own righteousness. We have nothing worthy. But in you, Jesus, we have, we have it all. Total forgiveness. Total freedom, Jesus. So we take these elements in remembrance of you and we take them with gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Settle your disagreements. Live at peace. One of the first ways that joy is killed in our lives is living with unresolved disagreements, not dealing with things that we disagree about. Sweeping it under the rug is not good. It's not healthy. God calls us to live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a spiritual family and we need to learn to disagree, talk about things, and respect each other. When we choose to harbor anger or bitterness in our heart, it kills joy in us, and it affects the people around us. Pray instead of worrying. Trust God. In verses 6-7 through seven it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Fix your thoughts. Attitude. In verse 8 it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Paul also wrote, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Discussion Questions Why is it so difficult to stop worrying and actually trust God through prayer? What might shift in your heart if you pray more and worry less? How would that affect your day-to-day -day life? 
Why is it easier to fix our thoughts on all things that are wrong with the world rather than thinking about the good things? How might thinking about the wrong things rob us of our joy? Thanks for listening, Mincio family, and we'll see you again next week.